from Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network. This is In Search of Sauce. Damn right it is. A celebration of writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. I am Tyler Jones, your lovely host for the morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this wonderful thing. Um, I am a poet, playwright, and writer for Simple Sauce. With me, I have Ryan Gore. Please introduce yourself, sir. Hey, it's Ryan Gore, again, writer at Central Sauce, Swiggly Animation Magazine and Football Paradise, and for my newsletter, uh, Post Maelstrom. Keep an eye out on some film podcast this month where i'll be interviewing um roy conley who's a producer at disney um keep an eye on little white lies magazine where i have a piece on the new pinocchio movie and, and porco rosso how they do with fascism in italy and check out my newsletter for how to tell if a boba shop is good the most important <laughs> piece i've ever read. i truly enjoyed reading that, that newsletter amazing. Piece that is amazing um, and also, you can—you just heard him, our lovely, lovely. What up, Brandon Hill? Hi guys, yeah, Brandon Hill. I'm a writer and editor at Central Sauce. I'm also a freelance writer at OK Player. Um, you should check out my most recent byline there. It's a really interesting story on uh, what guaranteed income programs could look like for artists in the U.S. in response to uh, the way that artists, especially indie artists have suffered uniquely under the pandemic, uh, losing out on sources of income uh, while still continuing to create the music and create the art that helped us all process like a collective time of crisis. Um, yeah, just if you Google OK Player, universal basic income should be the first thing to pop up. Or you can also find it on my website through the link in my bio on Twitter at Hoopla Hill and subscribe to my newsletter while you're there. Lovely, lovely, lovely. And the only thing I have to plug for Central Sauce, first thing I've done, first thing I've written in a while, look out for a concert review coming from, coming from me soon um, on the website uh, for Michelle. Um, one In this episode, we have, in the chronological order, we have The Weirdly Enduring Appeal of, wow, of Weird Al Yankovic by Sam Anderson, Sam Anderson, excuse me, from New York Times Magazine. We have for Boldy James, Patience is a Virtue by Philip Milner. And How They Made the All Caps Video by Animation Obsessive. Before we get into our articles, um, we're going to make this very short and sweet, gentlemen. What is one thing you've listened to and what is one thing you've watched? Ooh. Ooh. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Just one. Okay, Once again, one. One. Okay, one. okay. okay. all right. No, I'll be brief. So one, one thing I've listened to, because it's on brand for today... Um, the Four Doom, the song on Open Mike Eagle's new album. Ryan, I'm so sorry if I took that from you. Absolutely, like, one of my favorite fucking songs of the year. Um, it originally started as, like, a freestyle that Open Mike dropped, uh, sort of commemorating Doom when news of his death came about. I was so happy it found a place on the album. It's just such a fitting, you know, it's Open Mike Eagle sort of rapping in a rhyme style reminiscent of Doom uh, while paying tribute to the role that he's played in his own career. Amazing song. Go check it out. It's on his new album. And then one thing I've watched, and Tyler, this is big ups to you. I have finally made it 
through Attack on Titan. You're welcome. Um, Fucking and it, finally, it is good. Jesus it's Christ, good. and it's good. I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it. At that. It's good. It's good. It, it took me so long. Also, even uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion is also good, but quite a slog. Also, game. really depressing anime. Yes. But okay, yeah. Ryan. <laughs> Uh, I'll stick with the anime theme then. I watched um, a movie called Whisper of the Heart, a studio oh, yes. movie, directed by Yoshifumi Kondo. Uh, the only movie he directed, the only feature movie he directed before he passed away in 1998. This came out in 94. And yeah, for anyone who's like wanting to create things and trying to figure out a direction and is uncertain about the future, watch this movie. It's just, it'll hit in that exact spot. Um, one thing I've listened to, if you're going for a single track like Brandon did, I'll go for Reason by Marvi. Uh, I think track eight of his new album. Um, yeah, he's just going crazy on that song, <laughs> melodically just spitting all these just insane bars like Marvy does. But yeah, how about you? Um, for me, I will say I, we're, we're going to stick with the one song theme. I was talking about just one album, whatever. But um, after watching them live and having a great time, um, uh, Hazards by Michelle has been amazing. Um, Ryan will probably recognize them from the song Sunrise that was stuck in our submit hub box forever um and second and i guess the one thing i've watched recently um i've been to stick with anime i've been watching bleach the thousand blood war arc um which has been great i love the updated animation so we're going to start off with our first article the weirdly enduring appeal of weird al yankovic by sam anderson brandon hill Please take it away, sir. Absolutely, yeah. So this was actually a magazine writing uh, winner for 2021. That's how I found it. Excellent article. It's a profile of Weird Al. And for my intro here, um, basically, I'm just going to sort of quickly go over like the structure of the article and just read a few quotes. And what I want you to pay attention to really is like what this article does exceptionally well is how beautifully it's written, but also like how much, like how information dense the writing is despite it being very flowery and very, very giving and very, like, entertaining writing to read. Um, so it starts off, you know, in a first-person format with this very skeptical journalist who's in a crowd. He's about to see a Weird Al Yankovic show, and he's sort of skeptical about whether or not parody music is actually, you know, going to be fitting for a show. Um, he does a great job setting the scene and describing the amount of detail used to paint the picture, and I'm going to read this paragraph here where he, this is his actual, like, physical description of Weird Al. When Weird Al appeared, waggling his arms zanily, long hair flapping in the hot wind, the crowd greeted him with a surge of joy. Yankovic's Hawaiian shirt was black and gold, traced with a pattern of tropical fronds. He still looked oddly young, as if his face had been locked into place for copyright reasons in 1989. So, like, just beautiful description there. So then he goes on to describe this incredible show, with Weird Al absolutely just belting these songs over a string orchestra while changing into funny outfits, and he ends this section with a quote saying, I decided that this was the single best performance of any kind that I had ever seen in my life. Weird Al Yankovic was a full-on rock star, a legitimate performance monster. He was not just a parasite of cultural power, but somehow, improbably, a source of it himself. He then goes into a few paragraphs about an awkward outcast child who wets the bed, throws up in cars, and you first get the feeling that he's talking about Weird Al, which I actually kind of wanted to ask how you guys felt about that piece of the structure. Uh, but then he reveals that he's actually talking about himself as the writer. And the effect creates this feeling that it really could be any one of us, any outcast, any awkward kid. Um, and he leads that into saying that that's the period that he personally discovered Weird Al's music. Um, and then another quote here. So 
As his name suggested, Weird Al's comedy operated right at the hot spot of my childhood agonies. Weirdness versus normalcy, insider versus outsider. What a Weird Al parody did was enact a tiny revolution. It took the whole glamorous architecture of American mainstream cool, Michael Jackson's otherworldly moves, Madonna's sexual taboos, and extracted all the coolness. Into that void, Weird Al inserted himself, the least cool person in the world, and by proxy, all the rest of us weirdos along with our uncool lives. So he focuses a lot on how it's never just a moment for Weird Al, um, but recreates this feeling generation after generation that links all these decades of music together each time he parodies a popular song for a new generation. And another quote that speaks to that is when he parodies um, Smells Like Teen Spirit from Nirvana. And I'm going to read this quote here. So Smells Like Teen Spirit comes out, and it's like the perfect voice for all the simmering anger of an entire generation of kids. And he's actually quoting the writer of The Good Place here. Um, That song is vicious and angry and aggressive, but also laconic and dissatisfied and scary. And it was immediately a gigantic thing in American culture. Then Weird Al does Smells Like Nirvana and completely deflates it. The importance, the seriousness, and angst. That's a service he has always provided, to remind people that rock is about grittiness and authenticity and finding your voice and relating to an audience. But it's also fundamentally absurd. Being a rock star is stupid. He uses this offshoot comment about how Weird Al's house has been in tons of Hollywood scenes and various shoots, including a porno, uh, to which Al responds with polite embarrassment, I'll take his word for it which is actually one of the few direct quotes from Weird Al used in this piece. And he uses this sort of momentum to transition into building his character outside of Weird Al, the persona. So obviously, incredibly wholesome guy. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to bog down my intro with many quotes from this section, but I will say that there's a picture of Weird Al and his daughter that absolutely just has my entire heart. It's the most adorable thing ever. Go to the article just to see this photo. Um, the section leads into a description of his writing process that's one of the best inside looks into something like this I've ever seen in a piece. Um, and I'm going to just read a quote here from that sort of describes his writing process. So it turns out that Weird Al approaches the composition of his music with something like the holy passion of Michelangelo painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Looking through the white and nerdy file felt like watching a supercomputer crunch through possible chess moves. Every single variable had to be considered in every single line. The song begins with a simple sentence, they see me mowing my front lawn, and even here, Yankovic agonized over lawn versus yard and over my versus the. He sifted through phrases in gradations so small they were almost invincible. And when it gets into Weird Al's childhood, which is um, described as sort of painfully awkward and exceptionally nerdy, nothing characterizes that better than this quote about how he got started playing the accordion. So he says, it came from a door-to-door salesman, The man was offering the gift of music, and he gave the Yankovics a simple choice, accordion or guitar. This was 1966, the golden age of rock, the year of the Beatles' revolvers and the Beach Boys' pet sounds, and Bob Dylan's blonde on blonde. A guitar was like a magical amulet spraying psychedelic magic all over the world, so Yankovic's mother chose the accordion. And it's these sort of like instances from his life that are pulled and used as examples to really characterize really well with this really excellent writing. Um, the next sort of the piece just goes over his basic college life where he makes his first friend, his first introduction into performance art, um, and how he sort of gets eventually into the MTV space where he kind of has his own sort of radio hour TV special. Uh, And it really highlights how he's not just like has a talent 
for being funny and for making music, but as like a really strong self marketer. And I'm going to end my intro here on this quote where he talks about, you know, once Al gets into the swing of things, um, there's this idea that parody music is always like a temporary thing. And he says, Weird Al likes to say that every one of his albums is a comeback album. That's because a parody career is not like a normal career. It has no internal momentum. Everyone always expects you to go away. And then a bit further down, he says, national economies collapse, species go extinct, political movements rise and fizzle, but somehow, for some reason, Weird Al endures. So what did you guys think of the piece? What's your own sort of experience with Weird Al's music? And, you know, what did you really find, like, most effective in this, like, presentation of a profile? I guess I'll start us off this time. Um, Let me see. For me, I really enjoyed this read. It was quietly, it, it was quite endearing. And Brandon, so like, I remember you had a question for us later about how like how the writer inserted himself right into the piece. I thought that was unique. I, I, when there's like personal writing being done nine times out of 10, it's like usually do interview, which I guess you, there are moments of interview because this is a profile or it's like usually essays or something like that, right? To insert self almost in the, I guess you would say in the upper third of the article but like still like not the beginning like more so towards that as we're getting to the middle i thought that was interesting i thought that was like because once again i thought it was setting up to be talking about how al had this this once again just adding to this awkward upbringing right which he gets into later um going to al's uh his awkward upbringing but to insert self in that, I thought it was actually really touching. I thought it actually gave more weight to the article. It actually and it made you care not only more for Al because like this is this person uh, he was the basically the catalyst that helped him feel comforted, but it was also helped make you care about the writer's writing because you're now mostly investing to them. They've given you a piece of themselves. Um, like a quote for me that was like towards the end of it. Um, I am writing this profile. You are reading it in an impossible world. Comedy, a disembodied spark between distant people seems more crucial than ever. And it is. It's like more when it's you think about how people when people laugh, it can be in a myriad of situations. It can be when something's actually funny. It could be when they're crying. It could be in an awkward situation. But not but we use laughing comedy in the in so many parts and facets of life that that's why to your quote that you used right before you pass it along it endures comedy laughing and joy in that regard will always endure because we need it and to have this wonderfully written profile um like the length of it helps like you need to get this full picture of a person of a human and of this writer, you need the length, which I'm thinking it clocked. If I'm saying I did count it up, I kind of like copied and pasted. It was like it's a it's clocking a close to nine thousand words. It, <clears throat> excuse me, it made me care. It it made me care. Like once again, I always saw Weird Al as like the guy that had the parody song that me and my friends would laugh at. We would mock, but like you know, in a funny way in its in itself because like it's a parody, and. It, and now I'm left, I'm left, well, I'm like, well, crap, I need to, if he has a book, I need to read it. I need to read a book on him. <laughs> if he ha- if he, if he has a movie, I might, I'm probably, what, which he does, which is, I think is on Roku, the Roku channel right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm I might watch that, that now, which apparently they also have like a review of too on 
their website. So, yeah, and made me care. Once again, which at the end of the day, a profile's job is to make you care. Not only did it make me care for the artist, it made me care for the writer. Yeah, I really liked too, like the writer's choice when it comes to like the first person presentation. Like the detail in towards the end of the, end of the article is included that Anderson spent you know, a week or two or something like that on tour with Weird Al, but you don't get that right at the start. Like the writer has like made this active choice to at first sink you into this scene without the knowledge that like, oh, I've been following this guy around and studying him and interviewing him and interviewing all of his friends and profiling him. He first sinks you into that moment where he's at a massive outdoor concert and he's sort of questioning whether or not like an aging parody artist is going to be a good show like why are all these people so excited for this like you know this very very like electric atmosphere for something that he even i think in the in the intro says that he w- either worries or expects might be kind of sad but then ends that with like this is the greatest show of my like i've ever seen in my life and now let's dive into like how this happens how does a how does a parody artist connect generations from from six-year-olds to 80-year-olds right and he just un- unravels that over the course of this piece and i gotta say if an editor mm-hmm. ever gave me a nine thousand word word count i would be the happiest person in the world what i the things the <laughs> things i would do you'd be the enough things i would do with nine thousand words <laughs> and it was non-linear storytelling as well non-linear storytelling really actually helped this piece as well mm-hmm. like to go like Definitely. almost like to junk back and forth and then like to get more linear as it went along like at about that middle mark of the article it actually it gave it like a really cool like hook and then it can and it dragged you along because mm-hmm. now you're invested so and it also never yeah, Ryan, lingers your thoughts. too long on like any individual point right it never really lingers it just kind of gives you the info you need and then keeps it pushing yeah yeah it does Absolutely, yeah. Um, one note about the movie. If you want to go into the movie expecting like an accurate representation of Bodar's life, that's not <laughs> the point in the movie. It's a parody of music music biopics. So it's basically a parody of like World Weird Al's life itself. It's a very meta thing. I'm very excited to watch it. I've heard only good things. Um, but yeah, this piece, what really impressed me was how it started with Brandon, what you're talking about with that concert description. Um, I don't think I've ever like seen a piece just come out the block swinging like this. Like in other mediums, like music or film, it's easier to establish a fast start. But with the written word, so much of your pacing is decided by the reader, right? But this intro is like this completely hypnotic recounting of a Weird Al concert with like these colourful, very minute details shown all over the place just had me locked in so heavily to the start of this piece. Uh, uh, That sensation of an article starting quickly isn't something I've really had in a long time and that was really cool. Um, I thought the title was really interesting. The phrase that Brandon said, uh, enduring appeal, right? The enduring appeal is such an interesting word to use because, and links to a question you asked earlier, Brandon, that appeal didn't really cross over to the UK. Interesting. Okay. Like, really? My familiarization, yeah, yeah. My familiarization with Weird Al comes from like cultural osmosis of American media. Like, I'm pretty sure he's appeared in The Simpsons a couple times, mm. or referenced there a few times. And I remember uh, an episode of How I Met Your Mother, 
where um, Weird Al is central to the plot of that one, and that sounded familiar with like, some of the song names and stuff like that. Um, I didn't even realise before this piece that the Chameleonaire parody was him. <laughs> I'd heard that around, but I didn't know that was Weird Al. Wait, really? Um, and I actually like revisited <laughs> that video earlier, and I looked at the first comment, and it was someone saying that, said like all the things he's talking about in this song are cool now. And I think that's kind of the answer as to why the Weird Al appeal has endured. Because nerd culture is pop culture now. And all the stuff that Weird Al was made fun of for doing, and the writer would have been made fun of for doing growing up, is cool now. That's, that's You're cool if you... If you, you know, there's, there's a shot, there's a point in the video where like, he's like <clears throat> parodying a drug deal, but instead of drugs, it's like the... Um, Star Wars special <laughs> on, on on videotape and like just being a nerd and being obsessed with these small details is cool now and like it's kind of necessary for survival in our line of work as journalists like if you're a journalist but you're not nerdy about the thing that you're writing about you just can't exist in right. this space so uh, I think I think him being a staple of nerd culture has made his worth to now pop culture increase tenfold since his actual heyday of the popularity of his music. Yeah, and I want to I want to hone in yeah. on another word from the title too. You focused on enduring, and I want to focus on weirdly enduring. Right? There's this sense throughout the article, this sense of sort of surprise mm. that not only did something like Weird Al have a moment. You know, because I think especially when we look at now, like the more TikTok digital sphere, the viral moments and things like that, there are lots of like moments. But how many of those moments really last decades and decades? Right. And that's where sort of the weirdly enduring appeal comes. You know, he's not just for one generation, like he continues to grab each new generation and persist through this way. Um, and just it's interesting to me, too, that like this, that he wasn't such a big deal in in the U.K., um, and so I'm, I'm going to read another quote here that might benefit our UK audience to sort of put how into scale Weird Al is like as an artist when you compare him to other massive artists. Um, and so the quote begins, Weird Al has now been releasing song parodies for seven presidential administrations. He has outlasted two popes and five Supreme Court justices. And this is what's fucking crazy. He is one of only five artists, along with his early muses, Michael Jackson and Madonna, to have had a top 40 single in each of the last four decades. Yankovic has turned out to be one of America's great renewable resources. That like, and, and that's a good example of good reporting too, like just how much detail is in this piece, is just like sprinkling these little bits of like very hard factual information that puts the more emotional aspects of this piece into context, right? Like you're like, oh, like this is a, let's learn a profile about this goofy dude. I'm sure he's had an interesting life. Wait a minute, he's one of only five artists to have top 40 singles in four decades, like, he, he's put, that puts him in the conversation with Michael Jackson, Madonna, like, these massive, massive worldwide artists. Yeah, definitely. I think American culture and UK culture is just so different because as surprising it is to Americans that a parody artist was able to achieve that level of success, I think the average British person just does not see the appeal <laughs> of, um, of, parody music like i never did like it's not something i'd just go away and listen to by myself you know and i'm like on a train 
somewhere I'm not loading up Weird Al exactly, you know. So I see Charlie uh, shaking his head as well. Like he gets it. Like it's just not a thing people would do here, and I think it's a very American thing. So I think for us, it's more like observing your culture from the outside is as, as like a David Attenborough documentary. Like <laughs> seeing, huh? Seems like these Americans really enjoy this this parody music. That's that's weird. That, weird that does not surprise like me. No, it really first, doesn't, dude. Like youtube rabbit hole i think that i ever went down like legitimately mm. you know and it was probably something like amish paradise or white and nerdy um that like hooked me but then it was like oh like that yoda parody like the michael jackson parodies you know it was it was that thing you went over to your friend's house and they were like yo check this out this shit's hilarious and then you spent the next three hours you know going mm. down this rabbit hole of, of of weird owl music the ebay song is also one of my favorites that one, that's a classic but to get to number one means like people are listening to it yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. casually and I think yeah. that's insane. <laughs> I mean, American comedy and what's his name? Like what, could, the reason why you can probably like the reason why I'm not surprised too much when you really think about it is because like just just as like internationally, I, I mean, if you just go to different just different countries, our sense of humor is different from my understanding. Like UK humor can be like a little bit more dry um, and while American humor the best way to describe it is like family guy is still on certain things are still on and doing well we find a lot of almost silly things to be comedic and we laugh at it um the Simpsons is also like once again has been on for like if anyone can like fact check I want to say for like what 30 years Maybe. 34 seasons. On Son of a bitch. God damn. Yeah, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so, once again, but at, and the reason I didn't even want to say The Simpsons at first, I want to say The Simpsons is at least smarter sometimes than Family Guy. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, that is, I'm not going to say like, oh, I'm not some high, high, bro, uh, high nose, highbrow like dude, but like, I definitely think there's like, there's toilet humor. And there's Family Guy humor, <laughs> like one of them is still, and one of them is like still like Oof. going like super super strong is like crazy, right? Um, but we find it's, but I will say it's also weirdly enduring, is because currently, like I said, outside of like those animated mediums, parody doesn't really exist like that anymore. Because um, if you think about all those early parody movies, like scary movies, superhero movie, very um, true, let's yeah. say let. Even like the first, the way the first Scream was, right? Because even the the later Scream movies are different as well. They, it's, satire and parody was so big. Everything is more, it has moved more so from parody and satire to meta. Where it's everything, we want something to be hyper aware. So the fact that Weird Al is still appealing and has this market, has this audience, is weird. It's it's it is weird because like it's a it's basically outlasted his um his own category of I guess you would say comedy. It's he's he someone everything else has failed he still exists. He is he is the one who remains, <laughs> and that is for all my nerd guys who have watched Loki, um, but um. But no, yeah, I think I think it's been extremely fascinating to like to not only read this and then understand why because like it's been a homegrown 
niche but also weirdly popular guy over the past once again like what what did what did brandon say like have a hit in four separate decades like come on now that's freaking awesome that's (laughs) that's freaking awesome yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap up this segment here by just leaving with a scene from uh, from what, like an actual Weird Al biopic. This scene could not possibly be written better in like a fictional movie, right? So there, there's a bit that talks about how Weird Al um, is kind of, you know, he's the weird loner in his room. Does He's not super social. But one of the things he does when he's a kid is he, he plays on his accordion uh, these Elton John albums, like front to back, note to note on accordion. Right. So, so you've got that scene of him. This is his how he learns music, how he gets into things. And then years later, when he goes to college, which he actually goes to college at age 16 um, because he graduates two years before his peers because he moves up in class. Um, so you have this 16 year old who's he's who's kind of being bullied. Um, and the one friend he makes in college stands up for him when these kids in the dorm room like take Weird Al's clothes in the shower or whatever, something like that. And then, so now he's like making friends with this guy and the guy sees his accordion in his dorm room and he's like, oh shit, like you can actually play that thing. And Weird Al's like, yeah, pick a song. And the guy, the song that the dude picks is this 11 minute long Elton John piano ballad and Weird Al just kills it, note for note. Like you, you couldn't more perfectly write that if you set it up yourself. Like that moment where the weird nerdy kid, you know, two years younger than everyone else just busts out an 11 minute piano solo on accordion just picked out of chance like is insane can imagine you doing the same thing <laughs> brandon <laughs> yeah I gotta, i'll have to work on my accordion skills no what it really is is i can i can play uh new job samples on recorder like the recorder that you get in in elementary oh my school. god elementary school jesus <laughs> yeah i, remember I can't those. actually do hot that. cross like, hot, call me hot cross bun saved my life that'd be crazy imagine <laughs> someone breaking out that new job food sample on that thing like I mean, it would be a dope sample. It would be a dope sample. Play some Dilla on the recorder. All right. But that was the Weirdly Enduring Appeal of Weird Al Yankovic by Sam Anderson from the New York Times Magazine. Our next piece is brought to you by... Mwah, one and only. For Boldy James, Patience is a Virtue by Philip Milner for Bandcamp. Um, which, by the way, I don't think we've ever had a Bandcamp article, by the way. Shout outs to me. If, if, but if so, if we have, if, <laughs> if, 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 we, <laughs> if we have, then we'll fuck. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I and as I'm pretty sure as our listeners know, as Charlie knows, as Brandon, as Ryan knows, I love a good interview. I love a good interview. I like I just like learning about people. Um, So a a good interview and or profile just always gets me going. It's great. Um, I love what Philip did with this article is that like once again, it's I'm really enjoying the starting out with a quote thing. Just like it's more like take yourself out of it. We're here to we're here for the artist anyway. So why don't we hear from them first? Why don't those be the wor- first words that we hear? Which are it's it's an impact for sure. I I'm a God fearing man, <laughs> says the Detroit MC Boldy James, speaking in a low draw. I believe in a higher power in prayer. And the love that I've got from the understanding of that higher power helped me through a lot of situations when I was in a tighter space in my life. It was with family 
It helps me clear my workload. It helps me to have the mental space to think outside the box. As someone who is actually still relatively new to Boldy James, I didn't get it for, for a long, long time, which I'm sure our editor Charlie's like, yeah, he still doesn't fucking get it. <laughs> um, it's, but it, it's, I, I always understood like, yeah, it's the rap dude that raps really well under like, you know, minimalist beats or like super like alchemist type beeps. And sounds cool over them. And that's really all I understood. But going into 2022, there was something about Bodie James that just kept appealing to me. I was like, huh. I was like, oh, no, that verse is kind of dope. Oh, no, that verse is kind of dope. Oh, man, that verse is kind of dope, too. And on my recent run of trying to keep up with our co-worker, Mickey of listening to at least something new once a week, I stumbled upon Boldy James's new project, Mr. 1008. And I listened to it and I was like, this is really dope. And then I found this article and then I went back to listen to it. And then, oh, I get it. I get it now. I think what, what, when, whenever you find a piece that helps you finally if you can hear anything, I snapped. If, uh, if, you, if, it helps you, if it helps you finally get that artist, it's done its job. Um, and something I also really enjoyed about this, art, about this article as well is I think if I'm looking at, I want to say about 50% of it without it being a tit for tat, like question and answer thing. I think 50% of this article are, qu- are quotes. If not, if not more. Um, and, it's, and it's more so in the paragraph itself is... is standing on that quote so more so than the writer inserting himself like we had previously with the um, with the last piece we just had it's more so letting the artist speak for themselves almost like they're writing the article because they're just doing through the quote um through like their words themselves um so i thought it was extremely appealing and something that also i hope if of more not, let's say Bandcamp, Audio Mac articles do this. I like that they also had links to like their music and ha- every single way to buy it, sp- like all throughout the article. Because if you're, because most times whenever you're trying, it's most times just a link, right? A hyperlink inside a word or a quotation that will then take you to like another link. But to have like all everything accessed right there, I love that formatting, and it's and and, and I would also do especially because I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard a lot of these songs, so that was super useful for me to just have the context right there and be able to like, yeah. No, yeah. but no, no, yeah, I agree because like, because usually I'll end up trying to listen to an artist before, after, or during, uh, while reading something. So this, so this helped me tons. So Ryan, what did you think of the article? So like, you've already had like a nice little insert. Yeah, um, yeah, I I loved how Philip got some really great quotes out of the piece but what really really impressed me was how perfectly balanced the piece is between the quotes and the context for the quotes um kind of like that that context section those context sections that the density of the description descriptive language that philip um squeezed into those paragraphs was just really really good uh i have a few quotes here some of my favorite ones um Backed gently by murmuring keys, crashing cymbals, and hopeful traces of flute, James raps about breaking life's destructive cycles and appreciating small victories. He describes James' songs as um, 
spiritually laced street sermons. He says he has a keen knack for replaying, uh, for relaying grisly plot corner vignettes in a patient cadence, which gives his bars the ring of authenticity. And he says he raps over the lolling percussion of and muted sax. Just, just really, really good, nice sentences that are just smooth off the tongue and in your brain while you're reading them. Yeah, I'll, um, real quick insert as well. Um, I was want to say, like, for Ryan, while you were reading those quotes and when you were nodding your head, you look like you're about to spit a <laughs> sick ass verse. Like, we're, <laughs> like, you were spitting the, it's like you were like using his words to spit the sickest fucking verse of the century. I was like, yeah. Is yeah, Ryan Gower going to yeah. do, do a Boldy James parody song? About baloney? God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd pay for it. I'd pay for it. Someone clip that part of the podcast. Just put a beat under it. <laughs> See how it sounds. Oh, man. But please continue. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I was just saying that I also found it just a very comfortable read. Like, there's an element of settling into a groove of this piece structure wise that makes it very readable the piece kind of gently seesaws between quotes then descriptions then quotes then descriptions the paragraphs kind of take turns in that way like you're saying it's kind of like 50 percent quotes in that way and that kind of predictable nature is what makes it such an easy read because like knowing what's going to be in the next paragraph it's kind of a comfortable feeling you know i think as writers sometimes we try to be too daring and too flowery and try to you know do too much i think this was kind of the basic structure of like you have a paragraph of quotes then a paragraph of talking about the music then a quote about the music then a different you know different description of a different song and so on and so forth and it just made it such a, a lovely lovely gentle little piece to read word yeah let me um I'll start out my my little spiel on the piece by saying that I once had an editor tell me the only time to start a story with a quote is if the Pope says fuck. <laughs> but with that, like, it Wait, works. Wait, what? <laughs> Literally. Said the only, only start a, you, the only time you can lead a story with a quote is if the Pope said fuck. Because it's, it's, you know, it's hard to bring in, you like, the, the way they explain it is the reader's like, oh, who's talking? Who is this? Why do I care? Why do I know? Which is, is probably more of a, a presentation for, like, hard news stories. Um, this story, you know, it's very clear that we're talking about Boldy. So it's likely a quote from Boldy. Um, it's a short phrase that's set off before saying who it is. So, you know, it works very well. And it's also a testament to what you guys have been talking about is sort of the highlight of this piece, which is the use of quote. Um, but I also want to point out the use of lyrics, too, as well. Like, it's a good back and forth between actual quotes from Boldy and then pulling lyrics from songs. And it really highlights how well that, like, you know, not all rappers' lyrics read well. Um, we're going to talk about MF Doom. I think MF Doom lyrics in particular read, like, incredible. Um, J.I.D. also lyrics read really well on paper. And these Boldy lyrics read well. So they're used really well in these uh, paragraphs of the story. And also, Ryan, you talked about the the good use of like description of the music and i i liked how that the descriptions were very quick they were very short and they were very sprinkled and spread out throughout the piece i think when i write something like this which is sort of uh i have one interview and i have one album and now i pull those two things together basically to write a story um my natural like inclination is kind of to like pack 
the description of the music into like one or two paragraphs to sort of get it out of the way and then go into the the interview quotes and the descriptions and the context and stuff like that. Um, and this article had me sort of questioning how I have done that in the past and maybe, you know, looking at a new approach to do it that's in this way because you get sort of, you know, bogged down with like, okay, I know that I need to describe the music, but I don't want to over describe it. I don't want to be too specific. I don't want to be too vague. Like I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, and there's a really good balance here in, in doing that. And I think part of what lends to that is how well and how effective that the actual lyrics look when written down in this kind of format too. Yeah. So real, real quick, real quick thing. I actually want to like maybe challenge, what was that? Were you a professor? You said that or like a <laughs> editor maybe? It, editor slash professor. Yes. Editor slash professor. I actually want to like, and maybe like, and, and maybe when we post this on Twitter, I would love to guy love to hear y'all's comments pushbacks whatever i would actually argue starting an article with a quote especially specifically for an artist i feel like isn't a bad idea because people already know what they're going into when they click on the name of that article right unless you have a super abstract idea right if you're going in with an interview or something of that nature i would even argue that's a heavier punch because you're hearing from the person you want to hear from in the first place in a in a piece um, and you guys can maybe like disagree with me as well, but like, I would think personally, I think that's actually, a, I think that would be a lovely place to start sometimes with a quote. Um, well, it's definitely, it's definitely fun how music journalism kind of lets you bend the rules in a lot of places, I think, compared to, um, a conventional journalism. And that's stuff, you know, I've talked about with like editors and professors before too, about, you know, one of the reasons that I like doing it or versus like me having to like switch back and forth between the two different kinds of writing styles sometimes causes some issues where I like get into a habit of doing things more loosely in music journalism that don't translate over as well to a, to a news story about like the labor movement. Right. Um, so there definitely is music journalism lets you have more, more bendable structures to stories and you can kind of, kind of go around some of those more conventional rules for sure. And it works well in this piece, obviously, like you said, it's, it's a strong phrase. It characterizes the person. It characterizes the conversation it gives context to like how the story is going to unfold. So, so it is a good, good start with that quote. Agreed. Agreed. Ryan, do you have, do you have any more, um, you would say, you would say ending thoughts on the article? Um, just that. Yeah. I kind of picked up what Brandon said about that first quote being kind of like trickling down through the article to kind of, um, that's that aspect of spirituality repeating again and again. Um, I thought that it's a really fascinating and difficult way to frame an artist, you know, like writing about spirituality with music journalism, it's a really difficult thing to do. I found that when I was writing about Navy Blue in a similar way, it's difficult to not impose beliefs on someone because of their stated religion and stuff like that. And I think the way that he mitigates that really nicely is just by giving Baldy the stage, essentially, with the quotes. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really, I, yeah, I thought that was well executed because I don't think the piece is as interesting with other aspects, but it had to be done well and had to be done right. So, yeah. Hats off to Philip um, for making something 
engaging off rip and once and bringing in other layers to an artist that I'm still getting to know. I'm, I'm sure other listeners are as well. And so once again, that is the that's for Boldy James. Patience is a virtue by Philip Milner for Bandcamp. Now, to bring us into our last article will be Ryan Gar, and that is how they made the all caps video by Animation Obsessive. Ryan, please, my good, good, good sir, take it away. I'm just laughing at the fact that, like, from you and from Brandon, I've had two over pronunciations of my last name in this podcast. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a. It's I know a, I'm brown. It's, it's, no, it's a. Str- I know I'm brown, <laughs> but just say gore, like G O R E. Gore is good. Like, <laughs> I apologize. Saying. It's mostly because like my brain like then <laughs> lags, and I'm like, oh fuck. Words. It's all good. <laughs> but no, um, yeah. So this piece is how they made the all caps video by animation obsessive um i'm under the assumption that animation obsessive is one person on their substack but if this is a group of people and it's a particular person who wrote this piece i'd love to uh know exactly who that was so i can credit them but um yeah so animation obsessive is not a music journalism platform and this uh piece was made in commemoration of um the death of mf doom uh, the two-year anniversary, I believe, now? Am I right there? Or is it one year? Oh, wow. It is, time is time not is real. real. Wow. Time isn't I, real. Like, I was going to so confidently <laughs> say two years, but now I'm definitely second-guessing it. You keep doing your... I'm going to Google. Do your do your intro. Yeah, please Google it. Um, but yeah, I definitely wanted to bring something about Doom to the podcast, even though I've brought like six pieces about Doom to the podcast already. Two years. Um, wow. is two years we, okay we, we love doom so it's okay wow. <laughs> we wow. love doom here yeah yeah we do love doom um and yeah this piece has happened to pop into my email inbox at the top of the week so i thought why not and um yeah it's one of those pieces where it's pretty much what it says on the tin it's a documentation of the steps taken towards the iconic mad villain video for all caps one of the best songs ever really became emblematic of Doom's career to the point that when I think think of Doom or think of how people think of Doom, I think their minds immediately go to animated Doom from this video. I feel like that this this video is that ubiquitous within Doom's career. Um, So the documentation of how this pretty much this capstone of hip-hop history is made is something I found to be really valuable and brought light to like just a lot of information I just didn't know. And that's a testament to the level of research done in this piece and the way that quotes, mainly from the video's director, James Rotano, are strung together just really cohesively. Um, and the writer lets the sources tell the narrative, but in a really nicely controlled and precise way, which which I really appreciated. So yeah, no need to draw this one out. Uh, Brandon, what's Yeah, well, one? first, I mean, I just got to say, like, that this article is so, so deep in your bag. I'm scared you might never get out again. 
<laughs> and I think even like on even, even on like yeah. some subconscious level, I think you did that thing that Mickey does where he like often brings articles. He's like, damn, why didn't I think of that? Like why I should have wrote that thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, I mean it is it is it's great to like unwind this story and like you said, like the way that he uses the sources is really effective. Um and even like the the source let me yeah. Let's say they, because I don't know the gender of the person right. who wrote this. True. Um, and let me give. Where is the name of the animator too? Because I don't want to just keep saying the source. James yeah. Ritano. Yeah. James so Ritano. James, like they even use um, James's own sort of blog posts, sort of his own descriptions of of this thing. Like it's something that it's like so iconic that he's clearly talked about it before. Um, and in his own voice and on his own platform. And it's so it sort of like combines that with this like broader context of like why it's significant. And then there's some really, really cool details too that like honestly go over my head a bit because I don't, you know, have experience in the animation, but there's some very like detailed descriptions of the tools that were used to animate it, why they were unconventional. And you have this great quote from other animators saying like, why on earth are you doing it this way? Like you're just asking for a nightmare, right? And then even even the bit about um, James is the animator's um, initial like dissatisfaction with the piece sort of like is something I think that you can, any any sort of person who creates or does art can relate to where you, you work, you bust really hard on something like you have a new idea and you just can't quite get it really to click and you put it out there and you're not super pleased with it. But then that's the thing that people latch onto. And that's the thing that people are like, yo, that's crazy. Um, and he got so much work just based on this animation style. I actually went and watched the Serena Williams animation too, um, that was yeah. done in the same style. And that was so sick. It's this same sort of comic book style animation, but it covers multiple billboards across almost like, I mean, like even two different buildings maybe. Um, and, I, and then that found me just thinking about too after learning about these animation techniques as they're described, like, wow, that's crazy. Like, how do you do this where, you know, we're following these two characters fall down a billboard and then, you know, it's a superhero fight and they kick them over into the next billboard, but there's still, you know, animation changes happening a few panels over. And it just, that format lent itself very, very well to comic books on its own. Um, but it just had me thinking so much about the attention to detail, even more so knowing how much time and how much challenge that it was to to come up with that format and then like successfully execute it. And even like the self-doubt that was involved in that process uh, was just a really, really, really cool thing to see. Yeah, I thought this would be a good conversation because all three of us are people who appreciate animation a lot and love games and stuff like that. So the idea of animation is quite... <laughs> is quite central to to our minds i feel and i love what you said just about um some of the smaller details about software that was used and the ways things are animated and the artistic process because at the end of the day animation obsessive is, uh, first and foremost is a resource for animators and the main audience of this uh, newsletter is animators and people who are trying to get into animation and this story of someone who um, who wasn't satisfied with this work and did it in all the wrong ways still ended up with something completely iconic and, you know, really importantly for people right now managed to get work from it, which is a very difficult thing to do to get consistent work as an animator, as an independent animator for sure. 
um, is a really difficult thing to do. So I think it's a great piece for something that plays to multiple audiences. Um, yeah, Tyler, what do you think of this one? I thought it was, I thought it was frickety tack awesome. Um, it, it was it was a really good read, man. Um, so for me, you guys might kill me. I actually have never watched the video for all caps before, <laughs> before, oh, before, before, on, before, before uh, reading this article, right? I can't um, believe you just said that on mic. That exists now. You just put that I, out there forever, man. That's I did, but here's like, we're, but here's like, we're we're an honest group of folks. Even though I am a loser, like what Charlie says every day, and it haunts me. Um, I do try. To, I do try to like catch up, right? And it's my and my thing is with like Doom is like I've been playing catch up with him for like the past like five years. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was something I. It, he was someone I had to get into later in life because I just didn't. I I didn't understand him, and it was like. Un- Unfortunately, it wasn't until after his death, especially through Connor's like articles, that I'm like really understood Doom. So reading this article and learning about this video that I thought was frick, like once again, frickety frick awesome. It was it, it was really cool, man. Um, and just also the the art to and we, we're talking about in, we were talking about in, we could probably say enduring is like the thing of this episode, right? Because to endure the criticism the <clears throat> excuse me the criticism the self-doubt the and for, and for some probably just like trying to give up like is he endured to make something that is now timeless and learning his process and trying to go and just and as writers as well we go back and try to re-edit shit all the time we're like oh no it's not perfect even though even, even after it's out we're like fuck it's not perfect we, so I, I, I need i hate that i hate they have now read my unperfect article or poem or whatever it may be and stress out about it when in fact people love it it's it's it shows how artists are sometimes the our own once again our biggest critics now and forever and but and as you, like you said ryan also just learning that he's now been able to get stable work as an animator, and well, I would say we're in an animation apocalypse right now. That's 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 mm-hmm. nice. Mm. That's nice. Fuck David Sasla. Fuck yeah, HBO. Give, fuck give, fuck give Discovery. All these niggas can fight me, bro. All these niggas can like <laughs> if, they, if they can't square up, they square up right now. But like, and, and yes, I'll, <laughs> and I did learn from the um from uh, and obviously, of course, a shout out M to plug ourselves once again. Uh, the, the our Doom podcast also helped me learn a lot as well. So it's it's been so many facets that have like made sure that I've learned about this now legend and now this is this is this article to me is just added not only to our the animated story but to Doom story as well for me. Yeah, let me let me shout out those articles Connor wrote too because they're absolutely fantastic. They're on uh, mm-hmm. CentralSauce.com. Um, what the story of the supervillain or something like that is the the main title. Shadows of Tomorrow, yeah, Shadows of Tomorrow, it was um, basically about Doom before yeah. Doom, how his work at KMD with Subrock, his come up before, uh, up to and including Operation yeah. Doomsday. And, and Connor, yeah. Connor took this yeah. massive, five, it's a five-story series that pulls all these massive, massive first-hand sources, um, quotes from interviews, like old articles dug up that are like print articles in PDF, like uh, just a massive massive compiling of this story that basically is presented in the format of like a super villain origin story, right? It, it, 
it I, I learned so much about like what it really means to be independent in the industry and so much about doom and what mm. set up like who he is as a character from those stories and you should definitely check him out on centralsauce.com by connor herbert our, yeah. our good friend from down under absolutely damn right <laughs> yeah um did you guys have like a favorite little tidbit of information a new bit of information that you learned from this piece Brandon, I like, I mean, I like the quote where, um, well, first, okay, I guess my favorite tidbit of information is that the, the music video comes from a cold pitch email. Uh, it's always great to see those success (laughs) stories because man, oh man, do we send cold pitches like it is our job because it is our job and we just don't get paid for it. (laughs) So, I mean, that was just a nice little bit of hope that's like, oh, like you can get paid for working. That's crazy. Uh, but I also like the, <laughs> the quote where where he talks about like the challenge of like the longer animation. Um, and the quote is, you know, well, I've never done anything longer than 30 seconds. I can't do three minutes and animation. Three minutes is a lifetime. And then he has someone not in animation who's telling him, like, oh, no, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And it's funny because like sometimes you do need those people who like, you know, you can sit there and you're the expert on the thing. You can come up with a thousand reasons that you can't do it. And sometimes you just need that person who's doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Who's just like, well, yeah, you can like, come on, you got this. And that it was just a nice little push to see there. Yeah. I just got a nudge from our sponsor, the digging in podcast <laughs> to shout out their episode on uh, their two part episode. on Earth Doom. So check out that on the fifth element podcast network. And shout out your own newsletter me. too. Uh, Ryan's post Maelstrom newsletter Please. did a, did a compilation of, of, of MF doom tributes that I wrote one for two. That was really, really nice to see. <laughs> Uh, how about how about but well, how don't we just all just like bow down to Charlie's like uh, Charlie our Lord and Savior? But um, <laughs> but also no, all seriousness for me, um, I I one thing I really learned that it's apparently he didn't even really know who Doom was when he did the cold pitch. It was mostly the Mad Lib. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was he was like because I've been he was like fan of a Mad he was a fan of Mad Lib for a while, and then while getting this job for Mad Villainy, he was like I don't know who Doom is, but then they ended up becoming like really good friends because they're both freaking nerds it's mm. it's like and yeah. endurance and nerds Those, that's like the real connecting theme of this episode guys and it, I, I thought that was really cool i thought that was really cool. i like um, i like that bit about that too when, when he first meets doom and they sort of had that long nerdy ass conversation about comic books and he says that he leaves with the takeaway from that being like oh okay that's basically his permission to just do what i want with this video right like I mean, that that yep. exchange was cool, and it feels very, like, true to Doom, where the energy is not, like, a very tense, like, oversight of, like, this is my vision, and this is what I want you to create and follow along with, but it's more just, like, two artists connecting over a nerdy thing and both understanding, like, a mutual respect for that thing and being able to see and identify that that mutual respect is the guideline for the creative process. You know, having someone that you can trust, like, I don't need to be there step by step of the way. Like I just trust this person is going to do justice to this image because they have the same level of respect for it that I do. It's when you get it as fellow creatives, it's like kind of great. It's and it's also I think how we all became friends, guys. It, I mean, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly, and that's that's a lot in the central sauce Pretty philosophy. Much. A lot of times too. Yeah, and my favorite tidbit revolves around that exact conversation. The fact that initially the video is going to be a parody of comic, of the comic book style. 
But James and Doom had that conversation, and particularly they just talking about their love for Jack Kirby, just the goat of comic book art, and how that conversation developed the video into something with some knowing cheesiness, but also some really stunning sequences of slick animation, like actual love poured into it, not just comic book parody. Um, I'll quickly finish this one up with um, how the piece ends with a quote from Jason. He says, when the Masters of Illusion thing happened, I didn't do those things. I didn't do those types of projects. I basically told Kurt, I don't do that. And he said, well, do, why don't you just try? I could have easily said no and gone with my gone on with my merry life. But you know what? I took a chance. Sometimes you just have to do something scary. And yeah, I think I think that's uh, a good message to end on for the for us and for the target audience of, of animation obsessive <laughs> for sure. And just underneath the piece, there's like a little news section, and this says there's going to be like the, that the uh, producer at Ghibli said there's going to be a new Miyazaki movie next year. I saw that. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. I like. I big, mean, I like big, this big, yeah. from a nerdy journalism side too. The format of this kind of newsletter format is nice too. You have a a, a pretty short like story that like draws you in. Like you get these little tidbits. You can tell. You know. You can tell. You get these little tidbits mm-hmm. each newsletter. But then you also have you know, a bullet pointed series of like links and like news points. It's, <clears throat> I like that kind of delivery on a newsletter. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And that was how they made the all caps video by Animation Obsessive. And ladies and gentlemen, that was our show. But to recap our articles for the day, we had the weirdly enduring appeal of Weird Al Yankovic by Sam Anderson for the New York Times Magazine. We have for Boldy James, Patience is a Virtue by Philip Milner for Bandcamp. And once again, how they made the all caps video by Animation Obsessive. We want to take this time to also call call out all independent writers. Please send us your work. We would love to feature you guys on the podcast at some point. Or we can just like, you know, some good reading. We would love to shout shout you guys out. Check out our stuff at Central Sauce. Rate and review us for the show. And thanks for listening. Any more shout outs real quick, guys? Rate and review. Do it right now. Right now. I'm, I'm talking to you. You right with now. your headphones on, on the train, walking to work, at the library. Do it right now. Review it. Five just not stars. if you're driving. Just not. Just, yeah, just not if you're driving. <laughs> okay, we, maybe, we, yeah. we, 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 we don't encourage it if you're driving. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Be safe. Yeah, safely pull drive, over to the side of the road. Message. Drive safely, people. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you, yeah. This episode of In Search of Source featured Ryan Gore, Brandon Hill, and Tyler Jones of the Sense Source Creative Collective. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor, of the FM Podcast Network, and not your saviour. Music for this show is fucked like by Basti. Thanks to Chill Up Music for the to use. This has been the Central Source and Fifth Element Podcast Serial Production. It's Basti, Chill Up Music, Central Source, Fifth Element, and content coming the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source.